I'm Steve Duke, and welcome to the Two Roads podcast. On this podcast, you'll get the info you need to help you figure out what job is best for you, and also how to make that happen. Figuring out what you want to do with your life isn't easy. Should you change jobs? What job would you even change to? Should you go back to uni? Where should you live? This is especially true for people in their 20s and their 30s, and it can be a bit of a quarter-life crisis, as I like to call it. I know that because I've gone through it myself, at least once, if not twice. And I know so many people in my own life who are questioning what they're doing and considering a change. Maybe they picked a uni course out of school, which led straight to a graduate role. Now they're a couple of years into that, and they're kind of wondering if that's really what they want to do for the rest of their lives. For myself, I've spent days and nights grappling with the same questions. I still do. Don't have all the answers. But I hope with this podcast to help you answer some of the questions that you might have for your own life. So... What do we actually do on this? Well, we give you a real-life view into a wide range of careers and lifestyles. You'll hear from investment bankers, coders, nannies, online coaches, real estate developers, designers, marketing agency owners, salespeople, teachers, and more. You'll hear about their day-to-day job and the real insights into what their lifestyle is like, what they hate about what they do, what they love about what they do, the trade-offs, how much money they make, the hours they work, everything. What's different about this podcast is about the depth and breadth at which we look at different careers and lifestyles that you can pursue. There's lots of content out there that gives really surface level views of a job, what it's like maybe nine to five, Monday to Friday when you're at work. But of course, a job has a much bigger impact on your life than just when you're at it. It comes with different stress levels, it comes with different hours, different holidays, different pay, different progressions and different satisfaction. And they're really, really important for you to be able to take into account when you're considering a new job or changing careers. And so that's what we want to do. We're going to go into that level of depth so that you really know what you might be getting yourself into and you can find out if it's something that you might enjoy. You'll also discover how to get into that career if it's one that you want to go after yourself. So if you want a bit of help figuring out what to do, this part is for you and I hope you enjoy it and that you find it useful. Today we have Rose Radford on the show. Rose has genuinely one of the most interesting jobs and lifestyles of anybody that I know. So what's interesting about Rose? Well, she started off on a very traditional path, I would say. She was a straight 180 student by her own admission. She got good grades. She secured the right internships. And she landed a job at the consulting firm McKinsey & Company straight out of college. But after a couple of years, she knew that that wasn't for her. And she made a big jump. So she jumped from that traditional path of McKinsey and Company into starting her own business and working as an online coach. That was five years ago. Since then, she's made over seven figures for that business. She's met Richard Branson. She's become an investor. And she's crafted a life that she genuinely loves and that she has great work-life balance in as well, which I'm super jealous of. And she's also very thoughtful about how to make career decisions. So she has some great exercises on how to discover your values and to use them to guide your own decision-making when it comes to what job you should do. She also talks a bit about her own imposter syndrome, as well as how to implement structure in your life if you've made the shift from a nine-to-five, very structured corporate job into the world of entrepreneurship. That's something that I was myself particularly interested in because I'm basically going through that now myself. So Rose is a genuinely awesome person. She's super thoughtful. She's a lot of fun. And I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. So let's get into it. 
Rose, it's so good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I was on your website earlier and I read in your about section that you've got this mission of wanting to turn a thousand women into self-made millionaires by 2023. Mm. Why is that your mission? Oh, what a juicy question to start with. I love that. I love the stalker vibes as well. Um, Okay, so that mission really came off the back of a vision that I had. I'm going to get really, really cliche now. Um, The vision I had while in Bali about four and a half years ago. And um, the vision was really me standing in a boardroom with about eight to nine other women who had a lot of influence, who had a lot of connections and and, a really strong network and a lot of financial resources. And each of us there were having conversation together and pooling our power essentially together to make a change within something that we're really passionate about. And I I saw that crystal clear as day. And I knew that for me to create that room, I need to create the women that are going to be sitting there with me because these are my peers. They just haven't got those three things I described a moment ago of what they actually need to be in that room to be able to pull that power together. And so when I started my business, I kind of forgot about that vision as we always do. Oh, that's really amazing. And then like, you forget it all. And I realized something really insane, which was that the income gap between men and women in entrepreneurs is bigger than the gender corporate salary gap. So in other words, we know typically there is a gender corporate salary gap of, I think it's roughly 17 to 18%. It's like around that mark. And yet in entrepreneurs, same thing we're actually paying ourselves 28% less. There's about a 10% difference there. And basically women are doing it to themselves at this point as entrepreneurs for various different reasons. And I don't know whether we want to really unpick all of that one today, but there is a problem essentially. And so I looked at this problem as the classic McKinsey consultant would and say, I want to solve this problem. This feels like a meaningful problem for me to go after and go and solve. So putting little bits and pieces like this together, as well as my own journey and my own growth in my in my business, made me realize there is real power in putting more money in the hands of women through entrepreneurship so we can do really good shit with it. And typically the data also suggests that when women do have more money, we spend it in ways that's more holistic for the society at large. Um, not that men spend it on really bad things. I'm not going to say that, but it's just that we tend to spend it in a way that supports others really powerfully. And that's only a good thing for everybody, men and women and children and everybody involved. So there's a lot of really good reasons to make that my mission. And it's something I'm really passionate about. And it's something that is what I'm, I'm basically doing every day right now in my, in my current business. Everything that I create and sell is literally to support more, more women in making more money in their businesses. Uh, I love that. And so you've got a couple of different arms and legs to your business at the minute, right? So how do you typically describe what you do and like the different parts of that? Yeah. So for anybody who's listening to this, who hasn't heard of the online industry, I'm going to explain that one real quick soon, because if I was listening to this five years ago, I'd be like, what the hell is she doing? And it sounds really dodgy. (laughs) because it's online, it's on the internet, it must be dodgy. Um, That's honestly what I thought. Um, So the online industry is an industry full of people who are coaching, consulting, selling services, using social media to do all of that. Obviously, they have websites a lot of the time. And it's very like non-tangible, non-physical services. And 
it's a very new industry. Obviously, it was only born off the back of the internet and many years after the internet, to be honest. So it's a very new industry and um, it's really, really exciting, innovative, crazy, wild west kind of industry. <laughs> and so I sell and I am within that industry and I'm pioneering within that industry. Right now, I'm known and trusted for two main things. So the first is teaching evergreen marketing to women, um, typically coaches, consultants, service providers, and I teach them to, instead of rely on a launch-based marketing model, I teach them how to make sales all year round. Um, and then the second thing that I'm really well known for is teaching people how to sell in the DMs on social media. So Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Because we know that sales is a contact sport. So you want to make more money in your business, you've got to make more contact. And also given the pandemic, people couldn't go make contact with each other face to face. So what's the easiest, laziest way to do that? It's in the messages online uh, on social media. So those are two things people often come to me for right now. Gotcha. And so is in terms of like, you know, how you actually make money, is it fees for your coaching and content? Yeah, that's right. So I sell group coaching programs, courses, and a mastermind um, that people pay to access working with me and to, to learn from me, essentially. Yeah. Okay, that makes some sense. And I want to come back to, you know, what that actually looks like for you from a day-to-day -day perspective and really dive into that. But before I do that, you didn't do this job forever. And if I, I was stalking your LinkedIn earlier as well. Um, and I was looking at like where you worked beforehand and where you studied. And it seemed like you were on one path of what I would say, very like straight A students, went to uni, did all these internships and really interesting things, uh, studied abroad, got a job in McKinsey and Company as a consultant. And then there's this like jump to this other world of online services, right? And they're like two very, what looked to me is like two very, very different life paths, right? So what happened from this journey of the McKinsey and company lifestyle to this other journey? How did that transition happen? Yeah, so one Thursday night while I was working at McKinsey still, I got home as we do from client site after doing the Monday to Thursday stint. Stood in my kitchen about 11 o'clock at night. It was dark, obviously. Raiding the fridge because I was looking for something to eat to serve the emotional eating need that I had right there and then. Like for me, it was food that would solve the emotional roller coaster I was on at McKinsey. Um, I always had friends who would order presents to themselves from ASOS.com and other amazing brands on a Monday. So they'd go home on a Thursday and have like packages for themselves. For me, it was like whatever I could find in the cupboards. So I stood there in the kitchen, raiding the cupboards, raiding the fridge. And I was scrolling through Facebook at the same time and clicked on an ad and basically fell down somebody's funnel is what we call it. I found a video and I started watching this video. And this woman was a British woman. She moved over to America and she was living a life that I didn't even know was freaking possible. And she was making incredible money. She was making a huge impact in the world. She, um, I think, was a speaker and an author and serving and supporting all of these people to make like real changes in their lives. And I was like, what the hell? What, what is this? <laughs> How did I not know about this before? And it didn't quite make sense to me at the time. It was so far away from what I was conditioned to understand and be used to and, and hear, especially like such a, as you said, like a typical traditional path, essentially, of straight A's and McKinsey and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of, I, I let myself just assimilate, assimilate all the information there and sit on it for about another year or two and kept reading other bits and pieces about this industry 
and realized that these people were getting paid for the thing that I'd been doing for free since I was 19 years old at university. I was like, oh, okay, I need to commoditize this thing. And the thing that I used to do at university was to, and I went to, went to Bath University, which by the way, gave me massive, massive imposter syndrome at McKinsey, like so bad because everybody else is like Oxford, Cambridge, other fancy shit. And I'd come from Bath University, even though I had the grades for Oxford and Cambridge, I never applied. I just wanted to go to Bath so I could go and study in America, go and do two internships and have a rave of a time. But um, <laughs> that's a different story. Yeah. And so well, you're, to- to- you're talking to a guy who went to college in Dublin and then ended up in McKinsey. So there we go. Yeah, there. I know yeah. how that feels. Exactly. And just to close that loop real quick, I spent the first month of being at McKinsey expecting emails drop into my inbox one morning saying Rose we're so sorry but we've made a hiring mistake we have to let you go (laughs) the imposter syndrome was that bad anyway moving on to the uh, the other part of the story so at Bath University I would literally get on my bike and cycle across town once or twice a week to go and work with an owner of a charity shop there and I was supporting her on increasing her footfall into the charity shop um having her manage her team decreasing her costs, dealing with the local tax ban and getting um, like a reduction on her council tax or whatever it was because she was a, a registered charity. So I was doing all this stuff with her because I really loved helping her for some weird reason. I had no idea why, but I just really enjoyed helping her. And then equally, when I left um, university, I went to work in Kenya for a good few months and supported entrepreneurs out there too, just for the sheer joy of it. So I was kind of naturally doing this anyway and then didn't realize I could get paid for it, which is what I'm obviously now paid for today. So it was just took a bit of time for me to put these bits of pieces together and then came to the conclusion that I wanted to leave McKinsey, was thoroughly burnt out, exhausted, not aligned, not the right place for me anyway, and go into this crazy online industry and make a success of that instead. Was this an easy decision at this point, like you're so burnt out, or was it something that you had to weigh up for a little while? It wasn't, it wasn't. And I'll tell you what really pivoted for me in the end. Because obviously, if you've gone through the very traditional system, you feel as though that is safe and secure to stay there. You are insane to leave it. People are worried for you. Your parents are worried for you. I remember my mum saying to me, just make sure you can pay your mortgage rose. Like, okay, thanks, mum, for confidence. She was just scared for me, and I get it. And um, you don't really know what you're doing as a baby entrepreneur at the age of 25 years old. Absolutely no clue. So there was a lot of fear there. But the thing that really allowed me to give myself permission is this values exercise that I did. Sounds ridiculous, but I learned this values exercise, which basically pulls your core values out of you, your core values in life, and your values essentially are things that for a better word, you value, of course. Um, but actually, if you don't have in your life, you're going to be unhappy or you're not going to be as happy as you could be. So one of my core values, in fact, the core value of mine was freedom. And there was no way in hell I was going to get the freedom in the way that I defined it for myself by staying at McKinsey or probably any other job. I had to leave for my own happiness. And it was like the writing's on the wall. I've got to do this now for my own fulfillment and happiness in the future. And then I just gave myself permission to go from there. It, it was like, that was the day. It all shifted. Um, so if anybody is listening to this, they're like, I don't know what my values are. Go and find out what your values are. You can Google it, you can YouTube it, and you'll figure it out one way or another. The other powerful thing to do is once you've got your list of values, probably going to be like three to six max, go and rate yourself out of 10. How well am I living in alignment with this particular value in the way that I defined it right now. And if you're coming in with twos and threes, like I was, get the hell out of there. <laughs> Change yeah, <right>. something. <laughs> yeah. Like, was there a specific exercise that you did to like find these or 
does it not matter, right? Like you can just do kind of any one of the ones. Yeah, there is a specific one that I did do. I don't think it's online um, because it was something that somebody else gave to me at the time. I give this to my clients too, but you can kind of, yeah, there's a lot of other stuff like that online anyway. You'd be able to find it out in the end. Yeah, nice, nice. Okay, you you have this moment where you're like, that's it, I've got to go. Like, I know I'm confident in the decision. You hand in your letter of resignation. Your last day comes, you leave. What happens next? Because this is the scary moment, right? Where it's like, you wake up on the Monday morning, you don't have a job to go to. Now you're out on your own. Like, what were kind of like some of the first few things that you actually did? It's very destabilizing. So if anybody's listening to it or to this and doing it right now or is about to do it, be okay with the unknown and the discomfort of it. Just because it feels uncomfortable and like weird and wrong doesn't mean it's actually wrong. Doesn't mean you've made a mistake. It's really destabilizing to go from having structure imposed on you to you having to create your own structure. Thankfully, I'm somebody who's very structured and will build out my own structure and calendar, all that kind of stuff. There's also, there were a few things I had to unlearn and I had to unlearn being in the stress response all day, every day. Um, and one of the things I did there is when I woke up every day, I asked myself, how do I feel out of 10 today? And like one to three was like stressed, a little bit screwed, like fucked basically. Like four to seven or so was like, I'm okay, but I'm not thriving. And then like eight to 10 was like, really like thriving, 10 out of 10, obviously smashing it. And I was teetering between a two and a four every day. And so kind of in and out of stress response a lot. So then I just asked, asked myself like, what do I need today? And I'd often just go and find that for myself. <laughs> Whatever I needed, I'd just kind of nurture myself back to a place of I am safe. I am calm. I am, yeah, I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm safe. I think that's the biggest thing. So there was those two things, um, structure and stress. And um, for me personally, at the time, I had three months of living costs saved. So not very long at okay. all. That mortgage not, is at risk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not really clear on what I was going to sell. Really not very clear, actually, in hindsight. I'm very clear now. But like I thought it was clear, but I wasn't. And the backup plan was going to be to go and find some strategy consulting work that is ad hoc freelance. And um, by like week 12, so like three months, I landed something in Barcelona. And I wasn't actually stressed about it. Though. This is a really interesting because I've got myself out of the stress response. I was like, this is going to happen. I've got all the trust in the world. And I think the, the third S here, if we're going to put a third S in, is self-trust. And I have a lot of self-trust and I think you need, and in fact, I know you need a hell of a lot of self-trust to be a successful entrepreneur because you don't trust your own decisions. You're not going to commit to them. You're not going to actually make a decision either way. And you'll ne therefore never actually build momentum. So um, I just knew it was going to be okay either way. And I had no idea how, but I let go of the how a little bit and just kept trusting that it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Anyway, landed this ridiculously hilarious fun job in Barcelona for eight or nine weeks, made 25 grand, job done, we'll keep going, we can, we can keep doing this. And just kept learning and learning and learning about what I wanted to do in the online space, about like how to sell, because I had no idea how to sell. And now I turned 30 last year and the month before I turned 30, I'd made a million pounds in cash received into my business um, right before the age of 30. And every single penny of that million pounds, I'd personally asked for. I had learned to sell so well, I've made a million pounds come into my life in cash. And so I had to learn those sorts of skills, online marketing skills. Um, and to be honest, I had like a, a real funny thing about being a marketeer. I was so judgmental. I thought like being a marketeer was below me. I mean, dirty words, right? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, being an online marketeer, God, you gotta be smart. Like, <laughs> this is not like old school marketing. This is this is real shit. Um, there's data, there's like, there's creativity, everything. You need to be so smart for it. So 
Um, I had to get over myself in various ways, do a lot of learning, um, fill in the gaps that I, I had at that time. And it actually took two years to really get to that point. And after those two years, I was like, sod this shit. I'm so fed up with not getting anywhere, just picking up bits of random consulting work to keep the cash coming in, which was fine. I had a lot of really hilariously fun jobs and great people. And I was on my own, which I really thrived with rather than having a boss. I'm a horrendous employee, great entrepreneur, shite employee, unless I'm a consultant, I could be my boss. And so um, I got yeah, to the end of the first two years of the five I've been on since and had enough of myself. And you know what's really crazy? I ended up investing into working with the woman who created that video that I watched while standing in the kitchen like three no years way. previously. Yeah. It's so crazy. Like, it came full no circle. Way. I think I was stalking her for like three full years, like aware of what she was doing, inspired by what she was doing, all these sorts of things. She's now a good friend. I went to Naka Island with her and met Richard, Sir Richard Branson last year. Um, she invited me onto that trip and so yeah, it's been an incredible relationship that we've built since then. But um, <laughs> it was just like full circle. So I invested work with her for a full year inside her mastermind. And that was also the year the pandemic then hit. So that has been a roller coaster since. So yeah, and then obviously the last three years has just been absolutely insane. Actually, so many threads I want to pull on there, right? So the first one is, you mentioned that you're, you would do some strategy consulting work as a way to like generate income, especially over the first couple of years. And I think that's actually such a nice thing to have yeah. for like somebody who's like leaving their job and going out down the entrepreneurship path it's like hey look it's really nice if you have something that you can do mm-hmm. to pay the bills when you need to yeah. using your old skill set like that's fine and it actually creates this little bit of a comfort net for you so i think that's really cool but what what did the trend like when did you stop basically doing that contracting work you know over the five years mm-hmm. when did it switch from at the start obviously it was like zero percent on your online coaching and then 100% on strategy consulting. And now it's probably flipped the other way over those five years. How did it kind of progress? Yeah, it's weirdly enough as the pandemic hit March, 2020, my coaching business really started to take off and the consulting gig, I was so over it. So done with it. All of the work was typically based on me traveling as well to go and meet the board in various areas of the of the world. So we have to do everything on Zoom. The board were now less interested in doing the work because they weren't going on their jollies every quarter. <laughs> I wasn't going with them either on their jollies. So we kind of just petered out. And actually, it was great because the coaching started taking off. So it was, yeah, the beginning of 2020, I suppose, about three years ago now. And then another thing you mentioned that was really interesting there was that concept of self-trust, right? Mm. Um, and I want to know more about that because when I think about that, I think I see some people who I think have a lot of self-trust and for me, from the outside in, it feels innate. It's either you have it or you don't. And I'm really jealous of the people who have it because they seem to just be able to like make a call and back themselves hundred percent and go for it. And it mm-hmm. seems like they, the amount of self-doubt that they have seems to be low, at least from the outside in. Mm-hmm. So is, do you think it's something that is just natural or do you think you can like build that self-trust if you don't have it? And and if so, like how, how do you develop something like that? Yeah, I'd love to do some really proper research around this because it is you're, you're right. It's, it's such a powerful thing to be able to have within yourself. Um, I believe you can build it. I also believe that where my self-trust came from was my mum saying me saying to me a couple of things that made a huge difference to me as a teenager. And so if I ever have children, I will make sure I say the same things. And it was essentially something like, Rose, you make really good decisions. 
I was like, so obviously like idea gets planted in my brain. Oh, I can trust my decisions. I always make really good ones. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Cause even if you make a shit decision, you're like, well, that turned out really well though, because of X, Y, Z reason. <laughs> so like you basically con your brain, it's confirmation bias. It works beautifully in the right direction rather than the wrong direction. Um, and I think the other thing was just having my parents model to me because they're, they're also entrepreneurs um, who really, really struggled for the first 18, 20 years of my life. They're now really successful and are thoroughly self-made in the last 10 years. But I saw them struggle all the time, but they still trusted themselves in their own moves. So I think that's being modeled to me was very helpful, too. Um, but I do believe you can build this for yourself. Like I wasn't born with loads of self-trust. I learned that, which suggests to me that it's a learned thing. So if, if you're in a place of, let's say, more self-doubt than self-trust right now, there's absolutely hope for you. If anybody's listening to this, like I want some of that. Um, and I think it comes from places like if you say you're going to do something, do it and be a safe place for yourself, as in, you're not a safe place for yourself if you're attacking yourself in your own brain a lot. Um, if you're telling yourself you're not good enough, if you're believing various things about yourself that's not true, um, are you a safe container for yourself? It's a really weird question to ask, but often intuitively you will know the answer. If anybody's listening to this, like reflecting on it, like you will know the answer whether you're a safe container for yourself or do you attack yourself in your own brain quite a lot? Um, do you maybe not meet, uh, commit to your own promises to yourself? Do you let yourself down a lot? Um, and those are like the almost like level one of self-trust. If those are missing, it can be really hard to then make really big, bold moves in the world and make big decisions and trust that you have your own back. Because if you're not going to commit to the things, the little things to yourself, how are you going to commit to the big things and actually follow through? So earlier on, you were talking about imposter syndrome, right? And when I think about imposter syndrome, I think that people who deal with that are often also quite hard on themselves. I mean, if you have imposter syndrome, ultimately what you're saying is like, I don't think I'm good enough for what I've achieved or whatever else. Or there's some sort of mistake here, right? You're waiting for the phone call. So like, is that, do you see those as, as similar things? Like, is that something that you used to have and you were perhaps harder on yourself in the past or, mm -hmm. or no? I think there's context here that is really important. So you might be able to trust yourself in certain contexts. Like if you are religious at going to the gym, eating really healthy, my husband is like this, it's really irritating. <laughs> he's like, why are you so perfect? <laughs> and so like he has an amazing amount of like self-trust and commitment and um, he knows he's going to follow through in those areas. Um, whereas for me at McKinsey at the time, I didn't trust myself to be able to do the Excel model correctly, <laughs> all these sorts of things. And there was, I remember that distinctly, there was a certain moment in which I was on a phone call. I was with my team. There was a partner on the other side of the phone. And she said to me, Oh, that's a really good idea, Rose. And the instant thought that went through my brain was she's just saying that to be nice to me. She doesn't actually mean it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's stuff Which like is that. crazy. I know. If you're saying that to yourself, like that's not kind. And is it really true? <laughs> totally. It's so funny because especially in a job, which is so based on like logic and problem solving, it seems to go out the window when it comes to things like this, right? Because like somebody could sit down and point to you. It's like, well, Rose, you know, the partner probably wouldn't say that just to be nice to you because that partner really cares about the outcome of this thing. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to just, you know, ruin their project for the sake of your feelings on this like phone call. Um, but you're like no 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 I'm not listening to that logic right now I've yeah, got my own ideas literally and that was the before the moment in which I realized that the thoughts that you have in your head aren't necessarily true I don't know why it took me until I was like 24 25 years old to realize that the thoughts inside your head aren't always true why don't anybody tell me that <laughs> that's a good piece of advice actually I mean to my, my own kind of journey on this one has been like uh, so a big thing that I've 
taken away and changed for myself is something that you were kind of speaking about there which is like being kinder to yourself mm. um and I realized that I was quite harsh on myself for a long time and the reason was because I actually thought it was helpful yes. so I was like well come on you know if I start letting myself away with like subpar yeah. work or dropping standards or if I miss the gym for a day or if I you know mm. maybe don't smash it at work if I let myself away with that, then what next, right? There's this like slippery slope to like average them, right? And and so I think when there's when there's a reason, when you think there's a reason or you mm -hmm. think there's value in what you're doing, it's like much harder to let go. Mm -hmm. um, but then when yeah. you realize actually, no, that's kind of productive, it's easier yeah. to let go and it's easier to switch to the opposite. Yeah, I used to believe exactly the same thing. And often that achievement is almost like trauma-based achievement. The trauma being that what if I'm not good enough or I've been made to feel I'm not good enough in some way at school or by parents previously as a child. You just probably don't remember the situation, but it probably happened at some point. And so you're achieving and striving and, and trying to get to like this end goal the entire time and be successful because you're not sure whether you actually are valuable, worth it, good enough, all that kind of stuff. So it's trauma based achievement. That's fucking toxic. Like it's not sustainable. It's not pleasant. <laughs> Burn out. I mean, I, I see my father doing this, frankly. So um there's that side to it and do we really want to achieve success through feeling like we're not, not, not good enough and I've spent two years in really deep work trauma release work subconscious work energy work all the stuff basically shifted who I am on an identity level multiple times to be able to be a really strong human for myself today and it often means I end up being the youngest woman in the room and the various masterminds and rooms that I'm in even my clients I think pretty much everybody bar one or two is older than me right now and I lead a a group of 50 really incredible women um, as clients. And so that would never be possible unless I'd done that deeper work. And now I know that I'm achieving and succeeding from a place of, I know I'm great, not from a place of ego, but from like, a, hey, I know I'm good enough here. Um, I know that I'm strong within myself. I know I can do anything I want in the world. So let's pick what I want to do and do it from a place of joy, loving the journey, loving the climb up Mount Everest or whatever the, the goal is. And just do it from a place of joy rather than trauma. It's so much more fun. It, it does sound it all right, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if there's people listening to this, right, like a lot of people might be um, at the stage where it's, you know, you at, at McKinsey, right? Maybe year one or year two at McKinsey. And they're trying to think, oh, should I leave my job? Should I go do this other thing? Um, and I think one of the really helpful things to figure out whether they should and what they should do is this kind of understanding of themselves, whether it's simple things like understanding your own values or a lot of that deeper work, like the, the stuff that you've been doing. Um, so like, can you share a bit more about like practically, what does that mean? Is that just stuff that you're doing yourself or, you know, are you doing like classes or like, what, what does that mean when you're kind of talking about like the last two years kind of doing deeper work to understand a bit more about yourself? Yeah, it's been with somebody one-to-one, -one, um, the same person through those two years. I never really did therapy. I was sent to therapy, talk therapy by McKinsey. <laughs> I think it lasted like two sessions. I was like, this is useless. This is not whacking. <laughs> Probably not what you meant to do with therapy, is it? But like, I needed somebody harder. I needed somebody to like really challenge my thinking and it wasn't what was happening. So that didn't work. Um, and I tried hypnotherapy for various other things. That didn't work. My brain is a bit not very hypnotherapy-ish. Anyway, um, th then I found other modalities that actually did work for me, things like um, EFT and matrix EFT. And there's there's so many other modalities out there. It's not just therapy and hypnotherapy. I think that's the thing that people don't always realize. And so if something isn't really working for you, just keep 
trying other stuff because there'll be other things that like connect with your brain, your body, your way you see the world. Um, so yeah, I did a lot of that. And then energy, uh, energy work is slightly different. So once you've done a lot of the subconscious work, the trauma work, um, it's then a case of like, we need to shift stuff out of your energy field. And this is where it gets a little bit woo. And if I was hearing this five years ago, but like this woman sounds absolutely freaking gaga, but <laughs> I have seen the reality of this. And so we all have energy. We are a whole load of like, we are literally energy right now. We're just a bunch of atoms stuck together. And um, we also have energy fields and we you can actually see energy fields. There are ways in which you can see them using computers these days. So we know that we have them and there's seven layers to them outside of our body. And our energy fields get impacted almost every second of the day by other things happening around us. Um, somebody walks into the room, they're really upset. That's going to impact your energy field. You're going to be picking up that upsetness in your, in your field. It might impact you a lot. It might not impact you very much, but you are picking this clutter up all day long. Um, also how you're feeling is then getting pushed out into your energy field too and impacting others. So there's also something you said here about, um, shifting yourself on an energetic level to clear some of the debris out of the way, some of the stuff you might be holding onto, um, and to be able to show up with real clarity and presence. Um, and what's really funny is that since doing the energy work, when I go live, which I do a lot on Instagram and Facebook, and I just, I love going live and doing videos and everything, people will DM me or even comment on the video and say, I love your energy. It's like, oh, funny that. <laughs> so people are picking it up. They're literally picking up the work that I've done on my energy. Um, we're going, yeah, really crazy. We're going a little bit off track here because I know the actual question here is like, if somebody is, is at the stage I was a few years ago, like what would be like the, the things to think about from here? And I think if you know you want to move on, but you're scared and you're holding yourself back, which is very normal at this stage, I'd get really practical because I am ever the practical person and write out a list of all the reasons that's stopping you. It's like money. I don't know if I'm going to make as much money or I'm going to savings, whatever it might be. Um, it's, I don't know whether I can, I don't know what I want to do next. Like, I don't have the clarity yet. Whatever it is, write the list out of what's holding you back. Get really, really clear rather than just swelling around in your own head thinking, I want to do it, but I can't. I want to do it, but I can't. Like get practical, get clear and then find a solution to each of those problems because there will 100% be many solutions to them, even if you can't see it right now. I love that. So to switch gears a little bit, right? If somebody is listening to this and they're like, wow, what Rose does sounds like a lot of fun. And I think I might want to, do that or something similar to it and um, i want to give them kind of a download of information of what this life and what this career like actually might look like for them because i think often there's a very different reality there's very there's, there's often a big difference between what something might look like from the outside and the surface and then what actually the day-to-day -day looks like right so um, i'm going to dive in and just kind of go through like a few questions, try and give people like what that real life might look like. And um, so the first one that I'd like to ask is, what did your yesterday look like? What was, you know, Wednesday, the 11th of January in Rose Radford's life? Okay. So um, Wednesday, yesterday, usually Wednesday are my like no call days. I will do um, a speaking gig or podcast or something like that. And actually at six o'clock last night, I did do a panel discussion on Zoom. Um, and so that's really fun for me. And I worked out in the morning and then I spent the rest of the day doing various things on my laptop, catching up with some admin. I'm currently working on a book. So I did a little bit of that um, and then responded to a few client questions as well. I'm currently doing some due diligence on investing into another company, 
So as McKinsey attached, days attached to that one, but I'm currently doing that as well. So I was kind of having a bit of a CEO day, but more of a midweek CEO day where there was a couple of things I needed to, to catch up on because Tuesday is my call day. So I was doing from about, I usually start at 12, um, sometimes 11. I don't like doing like super early mornings, um, but yeah, so 11 or 12. And then I'm almost pretty much back to back until five or six. And I'm just talking and talking and talking to loads of clients. I'm in their Facebook ad data. I'm looking at their copy. We're strategizing their next steps for the next quarter. We're looking at what's worked and what hasn't worked in their recent experiment in their business. So there's a lot of problem solving, brainstorming, toing and froing, a lot of laughter because I basically feel to my clients for how much of a sense of humor they have. Because if they're not fun, I'm not interested. And we like, we're very, I mean, I'm very silly and very strategic. So that's generally how my Tuesday goes. Um, so yeah, it's those two days kind of like work in tandem. And basically Tuesday is my biggest day, of course. Other stuff, I'll just kind of pepper in here and there. Tomorrow, I'm doing nothing other than going to the gym, writing my book. And then I've got one call in the afternoon to speak to a client one-on-one about something. Um, and that, yeah, it's kind of pretty simple, really. Um, I last year worked three or four days a week, typically. Um, actually, I'll give December as an example. I worked nine half days in December. We brought in... 82,000 US dollars in cash. I was in Florida for about two of those weeks, Australia for three or four of those days. Um, I had a well of a time and we brought in about $50,000 in profit that month. So I've been able to get to a point where the leverage is huge in this business from a time money to time situation. Not every month is like that. We just had a really good one. Previous month, we brought in 92 or 95,000 US dollars in cash received. So that was November. Um, costs are a little bit higher because I was traveling and having some fun. Um, and yeah, so like it's wild. The money is wild, but that's why I'm then thinking, right, where do I invest this money? And I'm doing DD on the investment that I mentioned and um, investing the money. It's kind of got to the point now, like I can make the money. It's about, and I can manage the money really well from a profitability perspective and saving for taxes and that kind of stuff. And now it's like, where do I invest the money? That's the biggest problem for me moving forwards. Um, but I spent my 20s figuring out how to make the money, giving myself the sales and marketing skill set. My 30s is now about like investing it for wealth. That December sounds pretty bloody good to me, Rose. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty um, happy with that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I'd maybe spent a little bit less last year on things like going to Necker Island, birthday party, travel, like I probably would have had some more profitable months. I still do 20 or 30K in profit per month. But like December was like, I'm just going to sit still for a minute and not spend so much money. So when you say 20 or 30K, that's, is that 20 or 30K that you take home? Or is that like 20 or 30K that's like after after all of your expenses, including all of the travel that you do with your business and, and all of those kind of fun things that you're talking about? Like what, what is that actual 20 to 30K? It's the latter. So then I'll pay the okay. corporation tax on the 20 or 30K income tax. So whatever I get in my pocket is obviously less than that because the tax man needs some too. Um, but yeah, it's that amount. Nice. That makes a lot of sense. And so a lot of people will hear this and say, that sounds fantastic. Um, and they'll want to go and do it. Obviously, this is year five for you, mm-hmm. right? But what do you think it takes for somebody to be successful in you know, a similar path? If someone's listening to this, they might ask themselves, okay, am I this type of person? Before I go and try and do this thing, do I have the right traits to actually have a chance at this? Yeah, um, this is a really good question. I think having served a lot of clients in this industry who do same, same, but different things to me in various niches and teach various different topics. Um, I would say that almost anybody can make a success of this. 
where people don't is when they give up too soon and aren't, let's say, relentless enough about it. Um, and there's so I think that's true for any entrepreneurial endeavor, though. You get knocked down so many times, so many walls get put in front of you. And instead of getting knocked down and be like, okay, I'm going to stay down. Or instead of seeing the wall and be like, okay, fine, I won't go that direction. I like do anything I can to hammer the wall through, jump over it, get around it, dug underneath it. And like, I'm just relentless for it because I know the outcome is worth it to me. Being able to work very few days in December, make the money I made. Have, and do you know what? December was like record breaking for a lot of my clients. I was reviewing all of their monthly reviews at the end of the month and beginning of January. I was like, man, <laughs> these girls smashed it. And so it wasn't just like me not doing anything, making loads of money. It was like these women are actually really genuinely changing their lives. And people leave my program and, and say things like, this changed my life, Rose. So that gives me so much meaning, so much fulfillment. Um, so you've got to be in it for the right reasons. I think the flashy numbers I just gave, maybe like maybe inviting some people in that want to do it for the money. Like you've got to really want to do it from a like a I find this purposeful type situation as well. And that's something I didn't really feel like I had at McKinsey. The work didn't feel meaningful to me in the way that I personally define it, but this work that I do now really, really does. Um so yeah, there's got to be that box ticked for sure, because there's also downsides. Um, the two big downsides that I deal with are people, because there's a lot of people involved in a large business. Um, I have an incredible team. They generally don't cause problems. Um, but there'll be other people, whether they are peers, uh, other people in the industry, clients, situations that come up, you're just like, oh, it's emotional as well in those situations. And the second type of problem is a legal problem. So I have legal counsel. I have a lawyer on retainer. I was speaking to her yesterday about various things. Um, and that's stuff that people don't really talk about. You don't assume just running an online business, you feel like you can just make loads of money. Uh-uh, we got legal counsel. We got, we got stuff to like take this thing seriously. So it's the willingness to do the grown up stuff that feels maybe a little bit intimidating right now. Um, as well, <laughs> be relentless in the process and maybe being able to make sure you're doing the work for the right reason. Um, and that's what brings me back to your very first question, which was all about the mission statement. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's what allows me to create the success that I'm creating because I'm here to be able to help those thousand women become self-aid millionaires because that's really meaningful to me. Yeah, no, I really like that. And I think like your point about having resilience and and being relentless and also being in it for the right reason. I think also that they go hand in hand, right? Because if you're not in it for the right reason, it's very hard to be resilient because the first time you hit a problem, it's like, well, you know, there's easier ways for me to make money, you know, whatever else. So it's easy to get out of it and, and find an excuse not to do it. Did you have any moments where, I mean, I'm sure you had tons of moments which were like super hard, but was there any one moment in particular which you were like, I really, I really don't think I, I, I want to go back to something else or I, I want to give up on this? Yeah, I did. Um, it was August 2020 and I was running a launch. It was cut open. In other words, I'd done all this work up to the point in which people were now ready to come and buy from me. I was visible AF online, posting about it, talking about it, like, come by, come by, come by, that kind of like vibe. And um, I had accidentally used the trademark of somebody else's program over in the United States. I had no idea I'd done this. I hadn't done enough research, clearly. Um, I'd gone and bought the domain for the program, the name of the program. And common sense to me is that if you own a trademark, you go and buy the domain. That's like, duh. <laughs> so I didn't even go and do the trademark research because if I could buy the domain, clearly nobody else has it. I was wrong. The owner of this trademark slated me online to her huge audience, audience of about 100,000 people in the online space, probably more. And 
it was devastating to me. She accused me of things of me that I'd said to her in the DMs that I hadn't said. When she raised it with me, it was a Friday night, Saturday morning. Obviously, the beginning of the weekend, team not necessarily available at the weekend. I was working. Um, and I said, I'm so sorry. Could you give me a couple of days to sort this out? In the middle of car open, the link, the name is everywhere right now, literally everywhere. Could you give me a couple of days to sort this out? And she saw red in that moment and decided that I was basically saying, no, I'm going to keep doing this until my car closes on like Tuesday, wherever it was going to be. I'm going to just ignore you. That's what she saw it as, which was not the case at all. So yeah, she kind of screenshot me, took my face and put it, plastered it everywhere. I was in fight or flight for three days. I couldn't sleep. I was waking up to trolls on my Instagram account. So I couldn't sleep because I don't know what they were going to say next. I was just waiting for the next awful thing to happen. Um, I was cold and clammy. I couldn't eat. I, I was really in fight or flight for a very, very long time. Usually you were in fight or flight for like five, 10 minutes, three days, not good for your body. And I happened to share this with a friend of mine. Um, and I didn't want to share it with anybody because I was so ashamed about it. I, I felt like I'd done something really wrong. I was, I was just, I want the world to swallow, swallow me up. I was like, I'm going to have to throw this business in the bin. I want to be able to recover my name ever again. Like all these sorts of things. Um, shared it with a friend. This friend, um, basically ran this membership that I was part of, had two or 300 people in it. Literally 10 minutes later, she goes into her Facebook group with this membership in and says, this is happening to Rose right now. Here's what I'd love for everybody to do. If you've got the time, go to this post and go and share your thoughts on this. And I, I, I almost like begin to cry right now thinking about it. But there was this swarm of people that went over and stood up for me because they knew the truth of what was happening. And I stood there in my, in my city room and just bawled my eyes out <laughs> because I felt like support was there and somebody cared. And more than just somebody, it was many people cared and they really cared about me and my story and, and where I was coming from with it. It was just, it was mind blowing to me. So I made a good few friends that, that week. Um, and then I also messaged another friend about it. Um, I don't know how it came about in conversation. I didn't like go out to her to go and tell her about it, but it just came from conversation. And this was like 11 o'clock at night next morning she's like right get on zoom with me <laughs> it was like seven or eight o'clock in the morning I was in my pajamas on zoom with her with a wrapped in a blanket <laughs> so I was just like still struggling to control my body temperature hadn't slept and we were EFTing the fight or flight response out of my body it's also known as tapping or emotional freedom technique and five or ten minutes later I felt wildly different and it was that moment I thought this EFT thing works for me interesting oh, right yeah. And that was the beginning of then the two years of really deep work that I did. Ah, you went into you went into that beforehand. This is yeah. the start of it. Yeah, so right. the worst week of my life turned into one of the best weeks of my life because it triggered the two years of really powerful deep work I did for myself. And I am deeply grateful for that absolute awful, god awful woman in the United States <laughs> who did that to me. Because yeah. look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's a great story. Um, Rose, I've got two questions before we finish up. Um, so the first one is, if you were to go back to Rose five years ago, uh, maybe just before she left McKinsey, and say one thing to her, what would you say to her? It's going to be fucking great. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, honestly. You're, I, I you're, you're like, I wish you could go back six years and be like, do it now. Yeah, do it around. now, do it now, yeah. No, it, honest, I think I had to do the two years at McKinsey to really like 
scratch that itch. I knew I shouldn't be there, but I was like, no, I had to do it. Um, no, and I think if if like 25 year old Rose was to be in this room right now and see where I am, she'd be mind blowing. She wouldn't believe it. And that makes me really excited because actually I bet that's true for a lot of people that are listening now. You look back at yourself five years ago and think, wow, I've done so much and I'm really proud of myself. And in lots of different ways, you can always find a reason to feel that way, I feel. Um, and so that makes me excited because where are we going to be another five years from here or 10 years from here? What else is going to be different? And my business has allowed me to relocate my husband and I to Lisbon. And now we live in a much sunnier location. Yay. Um, and there are incredible friends that I've met here as well. They're also leading extraordinary businesses in the online space. So my life is is just so special to me. Um, and I don't want to die. <laughs> so like at this point, I'm like, this is too good. <laughs> so I don't want to die. Um, but yeah, I, I would just say to anybody else in that similar situation, like just do it, whatever you feel like you, you're being nudged towards, like don't doubt yourself, just do it. And you also preempted my, my final question, which is looking forward to the future. So if, you know, we're sitting down in 10 years time and between now and those 10 years have been a massive success for you you're like that was awesome what is it that would have happened in mm, those 10 years yeah so I have a brand called the millionaire girl next door that is trademarked I learned that lesson clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have the domain I have the domain the dot com the dot uk I got everything um and so the millionaire girl next door brand is basically my legacy work from here and I don't care if it takes me five, 10, 20, 30 years to, to do that work. I'm, I'm here for it. And that's really about supporting more women in being able to make, manage and invest their, their money to support themselves, their families and everybody else in the world in the process. Um, so the legacy there looks like a whole host of different things, but basically it, it's a, it's a really powerful movement of women moving in that direction for themselves. They don't have to be fancy. They don't have to go buy Ferraris, have luxury handbags. I don't have any of that. I mean, I like traveling personally. Um, I'm very much a girl next door and I'm also very self-made. And I know many people around me also desire something similar for themselves. And I would love to support them and be able to do that. So, yeah, I think just thousands of women going through that process for themselves I'm supporting along the way would be an absolute win for me. Um, and all of the media that comes with, with that, when I say media, I mean like the YouTube channel, the podcast, the stuff that I'm working on right now and already doing just to be bigger and bigger. So we can reach and impact more people. It's the most important thing is to be able to, to get the more, the message further and further out. And my lesson over the last five years, it just takes time and that's okay. It doesn't all have to happen today. It will happen though in the end. It's a great brand. I love that name actually. Yeah. Everybody seems yeah. to love it. It's a little bit I think it's genius, great. I think you did well to get that one. Um, I know. Like, how did you yeah. not thought that one before? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, Rose, thanks so much. You talked about your different channels. If people want to find you and follow along on your journey and what you're doing, where's best for them to check you out? Yeah, sure. So Instagram is I am Rose Radford in the handle. Um, my website is roseradford.com. Podcast is grow to CEO. Um, which is just like an amazing way to learn more about marketing sales and being a CEO in your own business. Yeah, I've listened to a good few of the episodes myself, yes. so I can vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Rose, thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you for having me.